0: A lot of people think that mountaineering expeditions are like what you see on Instagram. And I can absolutely guarantee you that that is just not the case. You know, long days, hard conditions, scary places, and success is not guaranteed. Success is a chance. If you're thinking, well, that sounds a lot like work, you're exactly right. If you're not willing to take hardship and work really hard for something, then you're not going to get the best payoff. And I think Some of my best mountaineering experiences, some of my best corporate experiences, they've been with a team of people who are willing to commit, they're willing to work hard, and they're willing to push limits.
1: On today's episode, we have Dino Hewson, an executive performance coach and principal at Summit Culture Limited. Dino has been leading teams, consulting and coaching with leaders globally for over 20 years. His work encompasses leadership development executive performance coaching, and he's also a regular keynote speaker on performance and outdoor adventure.
2: Dino is a true explorer and outside of work, Dino is a qualified scuba dive master and a member of the Association of American Mountain Guides. He has over 20 high altitude expeditions to the Himalayas and Andes to his credit and multiple first ascents on rock ice and mountain roots around the world in this very timely conversation right at the start of the year dino shares how we can achieve peak performance or in his words live a summit culture enjoy this
1: episode hi this is janice and i'm sarah n and we're your hosts for explore this a podcast for the modern day working professional
2: each week we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally
1: Hi Dino, so happy to have you on the Explore This podcast today.
0: Hey guys, nice to be here, thanks.
1: Dino, when we first met, I don't know if you recall this, but you were actually hosting a Lego not-so-serious play (laughs) session for HR Salon, which is HR Hong Kong Networking Group.
0: Yes, I do remember that very well. It was cool, a really fun session.
1: It was so fun. And if that isn't memorable enough, I do recall some while climbing stories that you've shared with me, which will definitely deep dive more into our conversation today. So as we get into the conversation on how we can achieve peak performance or a summit culture, could you first start by sharing with our listeners a bit more about your background and how you got into the work that you do today with executive performance coaching and leadership development consulting?
0: Yeah, thanks, Janice. So, I mean, I... I've been in this field for a long time. My introduction was really back in 1999, and I joined this consulting firm, and I met these amazing colleagues. They were all really good at sport, but they also had a really strong point of view about corporate performance. And it was absolutely the first time that I'd ever seen that real crossover between those two worlds. And I was already climbing at that point, and I'd been to the Himalaya a couple of times for a couple of expeditions. But it was really only that experience back in 1999 where I first started seeing these parallels, and it was a real light bulb moment for me because I really felt like I was discovering a field that spoke to my values, my personality, and to be honest, I mean, I still really feel that excitement and. That was a long time ago. And then I spent the following sort of 16 years or so within organizations working generally within that type of area, really understanding how people in organizations work. And after that time, I made a return to consulting. I started Summit Culture as a firm here in Hong Kong in 2017. And the reason that I started it was because I could see that there was still more opportunity to bring this conversation around performance culture two coaching conversations. And the difference back from then back to 1999 was that now I had experience and I largely developed my own point of view as opposed to the past where I was more just echoing what other practitioners said.
2: I love it. Do you know your introduction, even just by the way you're telling it, although it's a story back from 1999, We can see the excitement shining in your eyes, but more so I think our (laughs) listeners can hear how, how real it is. So on that note, you know, we spoke about this a little bit at the start of the podcast episode. Janice and I I think we consider ourselves sort of avid hikers although Mm. maybe beginners to to be honest but Dino, you take it a whole other level through both mountaineering ice climbing and so apart from being an executive coach you have spent decades climbing in the Himalayas and literally all around the world in fact for some of our audience who don't know about this just a moment ago Dino showed us an incredible photo of his ice climbing experience and we'll get Dino to share a little bit more about that. So what was some of the most notable or memorable climb that you have done that's left a very lasting impression on you, Dino?
0: Honestly, every single mountaineering and climbing experience in the last 25 years has been a really fantastic learning opportunity. Now, some of those at the time, you're not really thinking it's a great learning. You're just like, oh, mm-hmm. this is horrible. I want to get out of here. But honestly, if looking back across that time, it's just been A great opportunity to learn. I've had incredible experiences. I'm very, very thankful to my climbing partners over the years, the mentors, the men and women who've taught me, have been patient with me. And it's very easy when you're looking back on painful, failure based experiences where you haven't really done so well. It's pretty easy to look back and say, oh, well, what did I learn from that? What would I want to not do the next time? Or what would I want to try and avoid? But I think what's even more important is to also look at the successes and not from a position of, Hey, I did this. Anyone else? It's more that what is it that I've learned about myself? What is it that I can reinforce around my behaviors, my actions, my attitudes, my approach next time? What do I want to like double down on next time that worked well to make it part of my skill set going forward? And, and so that has been the mindset that I try and take onto every climb. You know, I've come off a climb like, What have I learned? What do I want to take forward to keep? What do I definitely want to throw away? And if I think about specific experiences, there are tons, but one of them that kind of comes to mind, my first time on Everest on Northeast Ridge 2004, that was one of the times where I came the closest to dying in the mountains. And the big takeaway after that experience was it made me stop climbing for another person's agenda or for publicity. And I, after that time, I really felt that I had to climb for my own agenda and my own motivation. That trip gave me a much clearer view also of risk versus reward. And so that was back in 2004. And if I think more recently, I was on a trip just before all the COVID stuff happened in 2018. uh, I went off with a team to climb a mountain called Cholatse, which is also in the Nepali Himalaya many people have probably not heard of this mountain. It was an incredibly rewarding experience. As a team, we had to make some pretty scary decisions. We had to work hard. I mean, summit day was 35 hours without sleep. It was an incredibly long final day, final push, but we had to manage our risk. We had to manage ourselves. We had to manage each other. We had to sort of really make sure that we were in it for the right reasons. But We also had to manage ambition versus reality because sometimes things change and you have to be able to react to it, right? So to be honest, it's difficult to name a single expeditional climb that wasn't worth it. And I don't have any regret over 25 plus years of climbing.
2: I'm wow. really curious, Dino, because you talk about mountaineering as something you've done, obviously, for years, right? Decades. And you have... You make me
0: sound really, you me sound really, really <laughs> no, for old. For the
2: record, it's extremely young. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but we are having a video conversation and he looks extremely young. Whatever your age is, you definitely don't look like it. But all of this is just to say that you are extremely <laughs> seasoned climber, mountaineer, ice climber with, you know, more than 20 over high altitude expeditions under your belt. So you talk about it very... Sort of nonchalantly and it's definitely part of your dna right this climbing but for a lot of us it's a sport that is considered extreme and it's definitely a sport that we especially from malaysia and asia in general we might not necessarily be exposed to um on a day-to-day basis i would say so maybe if you could just take our listeners through a very what does a mountaineering experience even look like if you could just speak very briefly about that that'd be great
0: i mean you've always got to have an objective and i think That is the the first thing that you do. And then you need to think, okay, why am I going to go and climb this mountain? And the amount of time in planning, the amount of time in preparation, the amount of time in thinking about the, the contents of a trip that far outweighs the actual experience of the trip itself. And I don't mean in terms of value, I just mean in terms of time invested. So in order to to prepare for something like this, you need to firstly understand what you're going to go and do, who you're going to do it with. And then you have to be absolutely sure about your preparation. You do not want to be turning up there and saying, oh, I really wish that I had done this. You want to be knowing everything that's knowable. And one of the things I have learned is that not everything is knowable on a climbing trip. You need to know what you don't know, and you need to be okay with that. So I know I'm kind of talking in theory and stuff, but this is really important that you you go there with the right intention, you go there with the right preparation, and you go there with the right resources. That includes people, equipment, time. And then when you get there, it's not over till it's over. Standing on a summit is not the end of a trip. Some people say it's halfway. I say it's more like a third of the way because you're up there and then the amount of energy and effort and focus it takes to get down and get down safely far outweighs, in my experience, that what has taken to get to the summit. Unfortunately, it's a horrible statistic, but most climbing deaths and accidents, in fact, happen on return, on descent, not on ascent because you're tired. The point is the summit is not the goal. Being back in safety, relatively speaking, that's your goal. So that's the mindset that you have to take when you go to the mountains. I don't know if that answers your question, Sarah-Ann, but I really think that mountaineering is not something you just suddenly get into. It's a step-by-step process. I've had amazing mentors who've helped me along the way. And that process has helped me with everything else in my life, from relationships outside of climbing through to business, through to engaging with clients. I mean, just a ton of things. That risk versus reward approach, that sequential step-by-step, it's totally linked to so many other parts of my life.
1: You know what you've shared earlier about always having an objective preparing as much as you can i personally believe that these are lessons as you mentioned that can be applicable in many areas of life you know beyond the mountain it can be applied in the Mm. workplace it can be applied in our personal lives as well i think this is a perfect segue into my next question which is what are some of the lessons or parallels that you can draw from all of these very exciting and some even life-threatening climate expeditions you've been on that you also apply specifically in your performance coaching work?
0: If I was to, to summarize, you know, regardless of whether you're in the mountains or in business, there has to be a goal. And your personal motivations for doing this thing, whether it's in, again, business or, or in the mountains, you absolutely need to be clear And if you can't be honest with yourself about why you're doing it, it becomes really difficult to struggle and to show tenacity when you really need to show that grit. And building on that, you need to be able to work hard. You need to be able to make sacrifice. And a lot of people think that mountaineering expeditions are like what you see on Instagram. And I can absolutely guarantee you that that is just not the case. You know, long days hard conditions scary places and success is not guaranteed success is a chance if you're thinking well that sounds a lot like work you're exactly right if you're not willing to take hardship and work really hard for something then you're not going to get the best payoff and i think some of my best mountaineering experiences some of my best corporate experiences they've been with a team of people who are willing to commit they're willing to work hard and they're willing to push limits the the crossover is massive and then I think one more thing that's super important in both of those environments is flex, the ability to get ready to change. I often say it's its on the website. It's something I often say to clients, dogma is death. I'll say it one more time. Dogma is death. In other words, don't just stick to a plan because that's the plan, right? So environments change. You have to be ready to adapt for that change as required. And if you don't, the best you will end up with is a suboptimal outcome, and at worst, you could have a really bad result, and which in the mountains could, unfortunately, you know, be fatal. Or it, you you need to be able to change.
1: I actually wanted to deep dive a little more about the grit, resilience, and tenacity that you spoke about earlier. Did. Did you realize in terms of your own tenacity and grit, did that build up over time as you conquered more mountains, as you went along more and more difficult expeditions? Were these traits something that just developed with more practice?
0: I think you get an understanding of where your weak points and where your strengths are. I wouldn't say I'm the most tenacious. I wouldn't say I'm the most gritty of climbers or people in business, right? But I have a fairly good understanding of where my strengths lie and where my weak spots are, of which there are many. An understanding of that is not necessarily the end. You can, by working with others, by leaning on others at the right time, by knowing the timing of how and when to do things, that can allow you to still be successful. And what's probably different to the late 90s when I started this versus now I have a better feeling about timing. I know myself better. So I know when I have to lean on others. I think when I started, I thought I could do it all myself, which is just completely not true. And so by understanding that those things, that's what's changed. I mean, I'm old, but I'm still climbing pretty much as hard as when I was 20, 20 years ago. And in terms of rock climbing, I absolutely am climbing stuff from a grade perspective that I was 20 years ago. Because... I have a better understanding about how to conserve and how to sustain and how to focus. If anything, I'm a more focused climber now. I just don't give up as easily. I I still do give up, but I don't give up as easily than I, I used to when I first got started.
2: And this leads us perfectly into talking about the topic of achieving peak performance. And so to kick off this conversation on how we can prime our mindset to live a peak performance, or in other words, a summit culture, can you share with us what your definition of a summit culture and what does that look like?
0: Summit culture is, it's a phrase, I didn't coin it a long, long time ago, but the philosophy has been with me for a really long time. This has been something that I have felt just basically since I started climbing. And and it I remember I was standing on the summit of my very first Himalayan peak, and it was a, a pretty introductory peak. It was just over 6,000 meters. It wasn't technically that difficult. And I was with this group and literally my first Himalayan peak. And we summited early in the morning and we were all standing around and the the other climbers were like, woohoo, we've done it, we've done it, we've done it. And I remember hearing them congratulating each other, but all I could look at was this other peak that was across the valley. It turned out it was over 7,000 meters, it was 7,200 meters. I just remember looking at this mountain, like, what is that? And I was just like transfixed looking at this mountain. And I remember thinking, I I'm going to go and climb that. Wow! I, I was standing on the first Himalayan mountain I'd ever summited. It wasn't like I couldn't care less, but the feeling was kind of like, okay, that's cool. That's done. But that thing over there, what, what is it? What is it? And I remember turning to this guy and I was saying to him, what is that mountain? And he's like, oh, I I don't know, but we climbed this mountain. And I was like, yeah, yeah, great. But that over there. I will climb it. And ultimately, I was able to summit that mountain five years later. But the idea of Summit Culture was something that I can recall all the way back to then more than 20 years ago, where there's always more you can do. You know, we are never finished as people. We should never be resting on our laurels. There's always more to strive to achieve. And in business, we've created this sort of model that we use in coaching conversations and leadership development, where the final stage of the model is actually called summit culture. It's kind of like an aspirational state where you never really are going to fully, truly arrive at it, but you're always doing what you can in order to create positive outcomes for yourself, for your clients, for your stakeholders, and you're doing it in a sustainable and material way. And I think if we have that mindset of always moving the needle, always moving forward, that for me is the the business expression of summit culture.
1: I think that's a great reminder on how success, it's its not about the end result, but it's about how, as you mentioned, how you can do better, how you can get to that aspirational state and how you can always keep going beyond your limits rather than to rest on your laurels. And you know, just to explore that more, you've already spent decades, not to give a hint on your age, but you have spent decades coaching very, very seasoned executives and even teams as well. So I'm sure you've come across a range of different behaviors and mindsets that might potentially be limiting people from achieving the summit culture that they can ultimately reach. So could you share some lights on some of these common blind spots or mental barriers that you have seen so far that holds people back from living out their own summit culture?
0: Yeah, it's unfortunately something that you see a lot. There's not things that fully solve it, but there are definitely some things that can easily help. And if I was to look at a couple of them, I think these are things that if you really focus on your own priorities, the first of them is around focus. The neuroscience of this is very, very clear. And it, it proves there's multiple studies, but it proves that human beings cannot effectively and sustainably over time focus on pretty much more than three things concurrently. And in the workplace, I often find that people stretch themselves way too thin. They're, they're, Trying to be marginally effective at many, many things. And yet, the real true success comes from being able to focus on things and do them well. And so, if we can be deeply impactful on a more limited number of tasks, then ultimately we will have more success. So, I often work with people either one on one or in teams and help them to establish real focus. What are you really here to do? And is your focus around this clear, and is your focus the same as the other members of the team? And I mean, these are simple questions, right? But yeah, if someone says to me, "Oh, my focus is slightly different to that of another team member," you know, the, then you're saying, "Well, wh- why is that, and what is the risk, and how do you folks align to make sure that you do have good clarity that it leads people to focus on the right stuff? We're all singing from the same hymn sheet. We know what we're talking about." So. Focus is the first of these things. How am I focusing? Am I focusing on too many things or am I focusing on enough that can really move the needle? The second point is around control and controlling what is actually in your control. So, focusing on that, it makes a difference because that means I know what decisions I can make. It means I've got fewer excuses. And the number of people that I work with who give me these. Dog ate my homework level excuses about, oh, I could do this, but, you know, so and so's really in charge of it. And, oh, I'm frustrated. And all oh, Okay. Let's talk about what's actually in your control. Let's talk about what you really should and could be doing. And once we know that, then we can take action. But if we don't know our own operating frame, it becomes very difficult for us to absolutely take action. It becomes the platform on the basis of that. We end up with misguided activity. It, it leans to excuses. And ultimately, we feel frustrated about ourselves and our work.
2: I love these two points that you talk about on focus and control, especially on the point of focus, right? When you talk about sometimes we stretch ourselves too much by having too many things on our plate, thinking that we're awesome multitaskers. I definitely am guilty of that. Your reminder to us is really what are the few three things that we need to be more deeply impactful on instead of stretching ourselves and thinking that we're superheroes and focus on the things that can really move the needles and even thinking about it and reflecting on my both my personal as well as professional lives, I can think of a few things that I might need to get rid of on my plate. If I say yes to some things, it means that I'm taking the focus away from other things that might really matter. And, And Dino, by the time this episode is released, it will be in the year 2022. But, you know, our listeners are individuals like Janice and myself, young professionals who are always up to build up ourselves and develop our personal as well as professional development and all about um, the growth mindset and how we can achieve peak performance as well as the summit culture in your reference. So we want to know what is one actionable advice that you can offer to help our listeners and ourselves prime our mindsets to set ourselves up for success for the upcoming 12 months ahead of us, especially since the past two years, 2020 and 2021, has been fraught with great uncertainty as well as challenges.
0: If we look back on the last two years, I mean, just personally, professionally, it's been really challenging. But to answer your question, Sarah, I mean, And I'm going to try and say this without sounding trite or like you'd see on the cover of a self-help book, but I'll maybe share the piece of advice that I gave myself at the beginning of 2021. And it's easy to give yourself advice, but it's much more powerful if you give yourself that advice and then you give the same piece of advice to others around you, colleagues, friends, and, and people that you know. Because... If you do that, then you're kind of making yourself accountable to yourself through the the lens of others. And the piece of advice that I gave myself, or the slogan that I gave myself for 2021 was, be relentless. And basically what I meant by that was that I needed to establish goals. I needed to move towards them. And there was so much uncertainty in 2021. We didn't know what was going to happen from a business perspective. We didn't know if we could travel. We didn't know what we could do, but I knew that if I didn't set myself goals up front, I would just so sort of leap from thing to thing. So I was relentless and in setting goals. And I said, "What well, these are the things I'm going to absolutely move towards. But what happened by the end of the year was that even though it was an incredibly hard year, I can honestly say I feel like I've been true to my slogan of being relentless. And we had targets in business this year. I had targets in my personal life in terms of how to have fun. But if I look specifically at business, which is the one we can easily and most easily measure, almost by any measure, any business measure that we set, and we set a number of them, we have bested our previous high points of, of previous years. And you know, I, I say that with a certain amount of pride, but a huge amount of gratitude because the team, the, the Summit Culture team and the people that I, I'm lucky enough to work with, They have worked very, very hard to achieve these targets. What we thought would be good limits and good targets, we've outperformed those. There's been a good dose of pragmatism. We've had to shift and we've had to pivot at times, but there has always been focus. So, if I can give one piece of advice, it's set yourself stretch targets and just go for it. There is no shame in missing, and there is every upside when you achieve it. So, set yourself stretch targets be relentless, go for it.
2: On that note, I'm very curious, Dino, what is your stretch target from a more personal perspective, if
0: you don't mind sharing? Stop complaining and have a lot of fun.
2: (laughs) I love it, I love it.
0: And I really enjoy my work, but I want to be able to go out and have fun. Uh, I want to be able to spend time with people in my private life who are really important to me. But I I also need to make sure I, I go climbing. And just because I can't leave Hong Kong easily at the moment, that's not an excuse for not finding ways of climbing in Hong Kong. I've expanded my sort of network of climbers that I know here. I've climbed in places within Hong Kong that I didn't even know of. And I've, I've been climbing here for years, but I've put up a lot of new routes with other climbers. And I've had a whole lot of fun this year. You know, 2021 was a great year, but it would be have been very easy just to say, oh, I'm going to work hard because things suck. And oh, we can't travel and blah, blah. But the, the reality is I've actually had a really fun year privately, and I've had an amazing year profession.
1: I can resonate to what you said about hiking in Hong Kong. I've only lived there for a year and a half now, and it was during a period where there was no travel allowed, right? So it, there was no chance but to look inwards and to really explore everything that Hong Kong had to offer. And I think, thankfully, and I say this with much gratitude, there are so much trails, amazing, beautiful trails to discover in Hong Kong. And I do know that you also do something called hiking coaching, would you like to <laughs> share a little bit about that? I was so intrigued when I saw that. But yeah, tell our listeners a bit more about what that l- kind of looks like.
0: So say I'm working with a client and normally we would be meeting in, in her office or you know in this private professional space, whatever that might be. I will challenge them to typically take themselves away from that normal space where they have a coaching engagement and they have coaching discussions into another space. And if they're kind of like, well, well, what is that other space? I'll say, well, let's go for a hike. Now, the, the point of it is not to just go hiking. It's not to push yourself so hard that you can't talk because we're there to talk about coaching stuff. We're there to talk about with business outcomes. We're there to talk about his or her reality. So we're not going into an environment that's so scary, so technical, or you need ropes or any of that sort of thing. We're going to a place that is beautiful. We're going to a place that is quiet. We're going to a place that allows your mind to really just switch off from that normal way of of being sort of surrounded by an office and to experience and to explore what it feels like to just be in nature. Now, we're not going to go out there and sort of bang a gong and try and sit down on the side of a stream and get bitten by mosquitoes for half an hour. We're going to walk around. And we're going to talk about things. And I will have an iPad with me. And from time to time we'll stop on a bench or whatever. And we will sit and I will take notes and I will hold my coaching counterpart accountable, just like I would during a coaching session in an office. So they end up after two hours with, you know, a bit of a sweat on. They maybe have been to a place that they haven't been to before. We've watched the sun come up or we've watched the sun go down or we've done whatever we're going to do in a really beautiful part of Hong Kong. And they leave that with a whole lot of actions. They leave it with a new mindset, which is an important thing after every coaching session I do. I'll ask my coaching counterpart, is your mindset in the same place that it was two hours ago? And if it is, which I basically never hear, then the answer is, oh, I failed them as a coach. And if the answer is no, my mindset is in a different place, I'll be like, right, what is different and what are you going to action? And so regardless of whether we're hiking coaching or in an office, they should still be coming up with actions. But the lovely thing is we're in a private, quiet, beautiful space that largely is somewhere they probably have never been before. And we get to do cool stuff.
2: I will definitely hook you up on it if I'm ever in Hong Kong and take you up on this <laughs> challenge of hiking coaching, because it sounds like just the whole change in environment, stepping out of the, the four walls that you're usually comfortable with, that itself stimulates certain thoughts that might help you trigger action plans that, that will help set you up for summit culture.
0: Exactly. And, and that's the intent, right? It's, it's around action. It's around mindset. It's around getting stuff done.
1: On that note of getting stuff done, I would love to kind of deep dive a little bit more about some action steps or strategies, because on this podcast, we love talking about ideas that are obviously broad in general, but also actionable and something that's very implementable, right? Mm -hmm. So what would be your advice on how in this new year, how we can elevate our levels of performance in the workplace itself? You've spoken a little bit about getting stuff done and put things into action so what are some Mm. other tangible tools or tips that you can share with our audience on this note
0: yeah sure i mean i'm I'm a management consultant right so of course we have a management model and of course it has an acronym yeah because every management model under (laughs) the sun either is an acronym or a two by two matrix box or a framework of some (laughs) sort it's going to be one of those things and so The Summit Culture Management Model is a four-step model, and it's called CORE, C-O-R-E. And, of course, it's an acronym. So I I want to take you through, if you want three actionable steps, we'll look at the first three steps of the acronym, so C-O-R. And it basically is a series of questions. So we start with the C stands for commitment. In other words, what am I actually here to do? So being really blunt and really honest about what are the most important things that I am here to achieve and why is this important to me and the organization? And you you need to be able to answer that. And on the basis of that, you can then move to the next step, which is O, which stands for organizational savvy. So at the commitment stage, the C, we start, we're really looking at myself. I'm looking at my motivation, my commitment, my reasons for being here. When we move to O, organizational savvy, we start looking at others. We start saying, who's in my network? How am I connected to these people? How can I support them in their work? And how can they support me in my intention? And we've moved from that looking at self in the commitment piece to now looking around at others. And saying, you know, that sort of is relating to other people that I need to be really, really cognizant of and really aware of. And the final step, that C-O-R, it now looks at, the R looks at resilience. And resilience is probably one of the most overdone words in the last two years, along with wellness, in my view. But resilience is incredibly important. And our view, the sort of the summit culture management development view on resilience, is it, it it asks this question: So, am I ready to grow and evolve regardless of the conditions? So I'll say that one more time: like, so, am I ready to grow and evolve regardless of the conditions? Which leads us to the question around, you know, what are the tools that I need to to help keep me in that position of sustainable readiness and it, it has been our experience uh, working with leaders that asking these questions and then being able to do a really honest audit based on these steps, it, it, it provides us with a realistic inventory as to where you're at and what action you need to take. And the question is that most of the time, it's not actually a question of whether or not I should take action. It's about having the clarity about what to action and why I'm actioning it so If we can be honest and forthright with ourselves, this is a really nice platform to give direction and to take next steps.
2: We love frameworks. We have to admit, (laughs) we're MBA graduates ourselves as well. So we absolutely resonate with the need to have something that provides structure with our thoughts and our frameworks as well. Dino, you spoke about how it's important to be committed to know what are we here to do and recognizing the importance of organizational savviness and resilience. We'll leave the E to another day. And for any of our listeners who might want to reach out to you, but I am curious on the topic of our listeners and Janice and myself, who also might be people managers or aspiring people managers and they, they lead teams, right? Whether now in the present or in the future, how should aspiring people managers or managers currently also think about elevating not just themselves, but the performance of the teams that they manage?
0: Well, that's a really good question, sarah Ann. And it allows me to talk about the fourth step of my model, which is <laughs> E, standing for environment. So yeah, so the the, the piece on environment is that it's this idea of an environment of excellence. And I mean, there's a ton of research, Hay Group and a bunch of others have done A lot of research that shows that up to 70% of a team's performance can be correlated directly to the environment that's created by that team's leader. So in other words, the the question that we need to be asking at this juncture to team leaders and people who, who manage others, what are you doing to create an environment of exceptional performance? What does outperformance even look like? What do your people want more of? What do they want less of? And to be honest, the first question we need to ask is, when was the last time that you checked? When was the last time you really checked what it is that your people need, more or less of? And what does that outperformance thing, what does it really look like? I mean, I often say this, but the best thing about people management is that It provides new scenarios every single day. And the worst thing about people management is that it provides new scenarios every single day, right? So as a people leader, you you need to be on your game every single day. And you need to remember that your actions or your inactions, the things that you don't do, they can have a profound impact on the performance of others. So in summary, staying focused, staying connected, and just, just enjoying it I mean, having fun, putting passion into your work, that's what it comes down to, in my view. I mean, we need to work hard. We need to have fun. We need to get stuff done. And I think pretty much that's the recipe for good work i think
1: <laughs> that's a great reminder to all the you know aspiring and current people managers who are listening out there and i truly believe as well looking at the hr landscape of 2021 with the great resignation and just people looking outwards and a lot of volatility in the labor market i think being aware of the environment of exceptional performance that you are creating or rather discouraging would make all the difference you know?
0: Another way to look at it, and we, we sometimes describe this to when we're working with groups and with leaders, is that your role as a people manager is almost like being a gardener. In other words, if you're making a garden, if you're, if you're planting a garden, you have an idea of where you want certain flowers and trees to be. You are required in order to put an effort to put those seeds in and to nurture them and to water them and make sure that they have the right environment, right? Now along the way you also need to do work because there are weeds that grow and we don't know where they come from but they come maybe the wind blows really hard and you have a big storm and some of your garden gets destroyed and you need to redo it I mean you get what I'm saying but the the role of a people leader is not just to sit back and watch the flowers grow it's to absolutely manage that garden and if you can't do that then you you will not end up with a great great outcome right so being an active participant in something as passive as a garden leads to a better outcome. And certainly when you're working with people, things change every day. You need to be on it. You need to be focused. You need to be passionate about it. And if you're not, then you're in the wrong job.
1: (laughs) The grass is green where you water it. So perfect analogy to wrap up as we are coming towards our very final question. Do you know we've had so much fun, but All fun has to come to an end eventually. And this is a surprise one. What is the one thing that you recently explored that surprised you?
0: If I was to focus on one, recently, and I mean within the last probably year or so, I've had to pivot the approach to work more than I really wanted to. And I realized that the guy who talks about growth mindset and active doing this and all of those other things... I hadn't actually always been doing as much of that as I could have. And I was set in habits. I was set in patterns. And I've been lucky to work with other people who have made it at times really uncomfortable to break those habits and those mindsets. But what I have found on the other side has been just this unbelievable landscape of new opportunities. I mean, I'm thinking about things in the tech space. I'm thinking about approaches to working with other people. And I, I don't only mean online, I just mean the opportunities that have existed within the, the sort of this pandemic world to explore what people need, the way they need it, and the potential outcomes. And I've went into a lot of this thinking it's not really going to change that much. And I've been fortunate to work with other people who have given me the chance. And they've only done it through being able, they've been pretty blunt with me in some cases. Like So I owe a huge debt of gratitude to a a lot of my colleagues who have absolutely been instrumental in that, to clients who have forced me in some cases to make changes that have also been a big payoff for them and a huge payoff for us. I don't know if that's a good answer to your really good question, but yeah, that's from the heart answer
2: well i'll tell you that there is no such thing as a bad answer to this question but it is to say that your answer is definitely one that we can see is reflective of the season you've been through one mm. that you know covid has definitely brought a lot of challenges but you know it's it's along the lines of what you talk about because you are adaptable to the needs to your environment you're able to sort of reflect and do that inward work on yourself and to see how else you can still contribute and, and give value um, to the work that you're doing so thank you so much for sharing that
0: Yeah, I I think you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, maybe just a few, but yeah, I'm I'm still learning. I think that I need to constantly remind myself that the things I learn in the outdoors and the the way I kind of focus on always learning after every climb and all of that is just so translatable in, in every respect to the workplace. So yeah, thanks.
1: Even though we all know that it's important to have a growth mindset and on paper, this is the right thing to do. Still, we are all human after all. There are moments that we do need that reminder and to get these voices from our support system to speak truth into our lives and to help us realize some of these fundamental truths and and things that need to change. So that's a really good reminder. Where can our audience find you?
0: I'm in Hong Kong. The team is all over Asia Pacific, but our work is pretty much global. I mean, we we ran programs in the US and EMEA last week and the week before. We ran programs across Asia. If you're looking for more information about who we are and what we do, it's summitculture.com. So all one word, summitculture.com. But yeah, I'm in Hong Kong where I'll be for the foreseeable
2: so for our listeners who are also based in Hong Kong, perhaps this is your opportunity to reach out to Dino for hiking expedition where you might get it. Yeah, a let's go running. climbing. That's cool. <laughs> go. Let's take
1: that up, Dino. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Dino. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. And we've loved the insights that you've shared from your perspective in the intersection between both sports and a very extreme sport, like I like I mentioned before, as well as corporate performance. And on this episode, you've we've taken so much notes. I'll I'll tell you that. Just to summarize for our listeners, you've spoken on focus, how to be deeply impactful in fewer things, how we can be adaptable and understand that. Success is not always a given. There is always a chance of success, but you definitely need to be working hard at it and how it's important to also be relentless with goal setting. Dino also spoke to us on the CORE framework, C being commitment, what are you here to do? O being organizational savviness, who is in my network and how we can support are on resilience and doing that inward reflection about are we ready to grow and evolve regardless of the conditions and E being environment and asking yourself when was the last time you checked what other people need because we face new scenarios every single day, especially if you're a people manager or an aspiring people manager. And last but not least, it's on the importance of learning to have fun along the way. So Dino, we've had such a great chat, but hopefully I summarized it well because like I said, we were busy taking notes. And on that note, just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing a lot of practical and actionable tips on how we can achieve peak performance or in other words, live out our summit culture.
0: Thank you very much both. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope some of it makes sense. And uh, I, I hope that for the, for the folks who are listening, that it, it's something you can action because it might be interesting, but if it's not action, then it just doesn't really come to life. So thanks very much for the opportunity. I've really, really enjoyed myself. Thank you.
2: If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us.